0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.
1: Good morning. My name's Faye, and it's my joy to read the Bible with you this morning. Okay, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds. of." The... Actually, no, let me go back. Hang on. Sorry, am I in the right thing? Oh, I'll go again. Okay. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's turn to John chapter 6, verses 66 to 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is God's word.
0: Thanks so much, Faye. Good morning, City on a Hill. How are we? Good to see you here. Thanks so much if you've just visited today or checked back in with us uh, after this new series is starting. A big shout out to everyone who is tuning in online. Can't wait to welcome you back in person. Uh, Today, as there's been a lot of chatter about, we start a new series. And we start our series today with a bit of an introductory, just dipping our toes into the water uh, today in this series called Jesus in a Political Age. And so we're going to bounce across these two Bible passages, let's pray first. God Almighty, uh, bless us, we pray, Lord, as we venture out into your word, seeking your truth and your light for us in our world today. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and we need you to shape us, to compel us, to lift us into your vision for your people today. And so do that this morning. Start that in us this morning We pray in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it was the summer of 1789 and at the climactic point of the French Revolution, which you might not know much about, the revolutionaries had stormed a political prison in search of more ammunition. And then they gathered together in a national assembly to form a new constitution to make, a new people to make, a new nation. And one of the central questions that they were throwing back and forth is how much power should our king have over us? Would the king be able to have veto power when it came to certain decisions after the revolution? And it just happened to turn out that as the president there presided over the National Assembly, those who thought the king should have veto power the more traditional, more conservative types, they just all happened to sit on the right side of the the one who was presiding. And it turned out that those who thought the king should not have veto power, the more kind of progressive revolutionaries who wanted more change, they just happened to find themselves gathered together on the left side of the one who was presiding. And that seating arrangement, perhaps at the time as innocuous as it was on halfway around the other side of the world two and a half centuries ago, actually all the way down to today into your life and mine, has created a mental model, has created a way that we shape and order our thinking about people. That seating arrangement has become far more influential from that king's veto Because it's it's flown out into popular thought to become for us that tool that perhaps, for the best, can simplify how people might kind of put their convictions and their political priorities, and perhaps at worst is a tool or a model that is used for us to shame people or put people down and out or other. I remember in uh, 2017, shortly after Donald Trump had been sworn in to uh, be the president of the U.S., me and a couple of other City on Hill lead pastors uh, had to go over to Florida in the U.S. for a couple of days because there was a church planting conference put on by a, a church, Spanish River Church in uh, Boca Raton, uh, who supported us and supported many of the City on Hill church plants. And so uh, we went over there and uh, the the political tensions were still bubbling away. And we did what any Australian wants to do when you're just kind of in the US for a short time. We wanted to find the best burger. And so we went for a walk on the streets of South Florida just to find the best burger that we could. And it just so happened that we happened upon uh, a, a Hispanic dude who was driving down the street uh, and he got out of his car, but his car was, was a limo drenched in Trump paraphernalia, Trump flags, and it even had a, a mini little version of Donald Trump on the bonnet. And it was blaring out loud music telling the world how great America is, and we were kind of walking along thinking, hey, this is just another day in America. And then there was an older woman who was with us, and for her, this was not just another day in her America. She was not happy at all. About this car or this gentleman. and So she wanted to let him know how unhappy she was about his choice of vehicle. And so they started a shouting match, telling each other about what colour the state was, about whether it was left and whether it was right. And we were here, it was me, Dave and Luke, we're kind of looking at each other, three innocent Australians, thinking it was kind of, we were close enough and it was so intense, like, should we, should we intervene here? And we thought, no, this is just another day in America and we need a burger. And so we carried on our way, and we hope those two were able to work it out. Probably not, given the state of things, but such is the intensity around what this left and right side clash can provoke in us. And so today we start this left and right series, and I want to say, do not let the title distract you. Do not let the title distract you. This is an attempt not to, not to look at the world through the lenses of left or right, but rather through the lenses of Scripture, at the issues that typically get siphoned off into these two opposing responses. And as we look at Scripture, we're going to find that there's actually another way. There's a, there's a third way, the way of Jesus, the way of God's Word, that can help us tease out truth and clarity on these particular issues that we're going to look at over the next eight or nine weeks. We're going to find that that third way of Jesus isn't some uh, kind of middle-centrist position. It's not some ambivalent, vanilla, transcendent, over-and-above-the-issues-but-never-really-get-involved-in-them position. No, rather, as Tim Keller says about Jesus, he presents to us a patchwork of extremes a patchwork of extremes. Sometimes Jesus sounds very left-wing. Sometimes Jesus sounds very, what we would call, right-wing. Other times, Jesus compels us to hold to a better version of left or right at the very same time. And he is that way because he can be defined by neither left nor right, but by truth and love and an insight into the human experience, our experience, that can only come from being one who is outside of the human experience and yet graciously has come into it. Now I'm conscious uh, this is a bit of a, a perilous journey that we are setting out on, given how passionately you and I are being formed in either a direction or from either direction. And it can make uh, because of that passion, it can make it hard to talk about these issues, can't it? And so that's why more of you are here today than you were last week, because hey, we're talking about these issues, and so we want to come and be a fly on the wall and, and hear about what the Bible says. Uh, and sometimes, because of the emotional temperature, uh, it means that whenever we do kind of brave it into these kind of conversations, we, we just float around uh, on eggshells or wanting to avoid the landmines. But I want to say that it is important that we do series like this, it is important that we go after issues like this and what the Bible has to say for them. And we're doing this series not because it's just interesting or not because it's edgy, but rather we're doing it because we want to be formed as people by the truth and the beauty of Jesus. In a world that wants to form us in left or right directions, we want to be formed by the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. We want His Word to shape us and make us. And this is what His Word sets out to do. God has given us His Word. He's revealed Himself to us that we might be formed after His likeness. He tells us that we have the mind of Christ, And we should have that mind be be formed and shaped by His Word. But it's also what happens when we think about what's at the center of our faith. The death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. I've shared before about an exchange that happened on the ABC panel show Q&A. They broadcast a few years ago one of their programs from the uh, Festival of Dangerous Ideas in Sydney. And toward the end of this night, the panelists were asked a question. Which dangerous idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? And the panel was was very diverse. Uh, Feminist Germaine Greer answered that freedom was the most dangerous idea. Author and radio host Dan Savage said that population control was the most dangerous idea. And then the host ended by asking Peter Hitchens, who is a UK journalist and brother of the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens, he said this. He said the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead, and that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. So the host Tony Jones didn't really know what to do with it. He wasn't expecting that answer, and so he kind of semi scoffed and kind of wanted to find out more. He said, "Tell us what, what, why is that dangerous?" And Hitchens replied, because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope and therefore we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against it. That's a beautiful summary that the resurrection forces something on you and me. There are implications for you and me and the life that we live. More dangerous than approaching controversial issues in a public setting is the reality of the resurrection. Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then we have a duty to find out what that means for us. We have a duty to, to form our reality around that true reality. That Jesus is alive and therefore to follow his ideas about justice, about life and death and race and gender and everything. And so we want to be a people who in all things, especially perhaps most of all around the, the controversial topics where in our day there is far more heat than light... We want to be a people who are living in the light of Jesus, who is risen from the dead, what He says and what He has done. Now, to help you know what to expect uh, in the next eight or nine weeks, let me just give you the schedule uh, so that you know the topics that we are going to be uh, looking at the Scriptures about. Uh, we've got religious freedom next week. Then we're going to be a, a hone in on uh, pro-life, pro-choice, or the abortion debate, euthanasia, race, refugees, Then we have our camp and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and come together. Kumbaya, come to camp. You want to be at camp. And then after the camp, we're going to gender, transgender. Then we have our fifth birthday and we can take another sigh of relief and and again come together. And then we're going to finish it with a final uh, kind of summary sermon in the middle of October. So we've got two and a half half months set out for us. Now for today for the rest of our time together, we're going to start way back at the beginning, as Faye read out for us from Genesis chapter 1, to to journey through a a story, the story of politics in the Bible, a biblical story of politics, so that we might get a picture of what we might then do in this political age that we are living in. So let's first journey through uh, the Bible. Uh, We obviously won't go to Lots of passages, but let me, I'll summarise some of them for you. But this will be particularly helpful uh, for next week as well as we talk about religious freedom. But each and every week, we'll probably find ourselves having to remind ourselves of what went on in the beginning. Because all of these issues really uh, hone in on why we're here. What is our purpose? What is our responsibility? And so we want to go back to our origins, to the beginning. You might have heard before that in the beginning... God made the heavens and the earth. The book of Genesis tells us how he formed and filled uh, the world that he had made. And then at the climactic moment of his creation here in Genesis 1 verse 26, it tells us that God made you and me. God made humanity. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And for our purposes today, it's particularly important to notice what then God says to the people that he has just made, what is his commission to them? What is his mandate to them? And we find that in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the bare bones of it all is that humanity is called to fruitfulness. Humanity is called to multiplication to subdue the earth, to cultivate it, and to reign as God's ambassadors, His vice-regents upon the earth. And so if we take a moment to think about that, as as humans are fruitful and indeed multiply and seek to cultivate the earth, then by necessity there's going to have to arise, isn't there, some, some level of organization, some level of governance or politics. Now, politics is that activity associated with governing a particular area. And here, God has given His people, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, the order, the command, the mandate, to go forth and make a people who will govern over the whole earth. Now, that word that we get for politics comes from the Greek word polis, meaning city, or polites, meaning citizen. When humans get together, you make cities and the people of those cities are citizens. And so you're going to need order. We're going to need politics. And so by necessity, politics is something that, that comes by virtue of our being with each other on the earth. It's not a bad thing. It should help the flourishing and the cultivation of the earth. But we know that Genesis doesn't stop there. Genesis continues going. And just, just a couple of chapters later, it all seems to go wrong. It does go wrong because Adam and Eve are deceived and tempted and instead of cultivating the earth as God's ambassadors, they set themselves up against him and seek to be like God themselves. So that disobedience fractures all things, fractures their relationship with God, it fractures their relationship with the earth and fractures their relationship with one another. And so we get from that, and this is true of many issues, but when we think about politics, we get from Genesis 1, 2, to 3, the politics itself, the, the gathering and governance of humanity. That is one of those things that has so much potential. Potential for good, potential uh, to have the, the power to help human flourishing, and yet it also becomes another platform upon which the sinfulness and the selfishness of humanity is on full display. And so that's why down into our own day and every civilization before us, we don't need much uh, motivation as humans to to be frustrated with politics, to be frustrated with politicians. G.K. Chesterton once said, Seemingly since the dawn of man, all nations have had government and all nations have been ashamed of them. Politics goes bad and our hearts are also bad and balk at any sense of authority or government which affects us. And so because of our hearts, because of the ways that our hearts are just like the hearts of our first parents and seek for us to be like God, author Jonathan Lehman talks about the political realm that we're now living in as as being somewhat the battleground of the gods, that all of us bring to the political spectrum and the, and the, the public square, our priorities, our moral system, our values, our perspective—that's that's formed by what's actually going on in the human heart—and so we use the public square, to, to, square to, to wage war for what we love most, for our identity, our value, our morals, what we think will save us. Because when the world has no other hope, then we're going to put our hope in finding power for ourselves. And so, in some political systems, we see that play out brutally. There are parts of the world, even right now, where uh, there there are dictators, and the people under those dictatorships are essentially at the whim of the hearts of those who have the power. And then in our system, in a a democracy, which to this point has been the the, uh, least worst option, there's still going to be arguments, there's going to be tension, there's going to be self-promotion, there's going to be campaigning. And so we see this play out today. So much potential for good, and yet so much potential for harm. In the midst of this reality, the the, the Bible story goes on. We'll we'll move past uh, Genesis 3, and it goes on just, again, a few more chapters after that, uh, where God wants to now make a people for himself because the hearts of the world have all uh, turned away, tried to make themselves like God again through building a tower. And in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man, Abraham, out of the world to follow him and to set up a family, a people who are going to follow God and and be a blessing to the nations, that through them the whole world would be blessed. And so Abraham has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob and his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel and then the, the nation of Israel. And that nation starts out solely directed by God himself. God himself leads them through his prophets. So essentially it's a theocracy. Then later it becomes a theocratic monarchy as the people call out for a king and Saul and then David, most famously, is raised up to be the king of God's people. But in that midst of that system, even though the system changes and shifts there, the calling over Israel, God's people, is to be the same, to be a light to the nations, to be a people who so... Trust and have faith in God that they stand out from the world because of who their hope is in. They're attractive and they're distinct. They follow His law, they trust in His word, and all the nations see and behold. Now, we saw in Ezra and Nehemiah just recently that 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 doesn't always. Go so well. In fact, most often it doesn't go well. Most of the time, they get that wrong. They they blend in with the world. They start to look more like the world than being distinct from it. And so they lose their power and even they, they lose their place physically in the world. And that then takes us up to the time of Jesus. And Jesus arrives on the scene, and when Jesus comes, we see that there is an immediate threat to the political powers of the day. The the king himself hears that, hey, there's another king who's been born, a king so worthy that people have traveled from the east with presents to give to this little baby king, and he wants him dead. And then throughout his life, Jesus adopts subversive political titles upon himself, and there comes to a point when he's standing before the Roman governor, Pilate, and Pilate asks him, about these titles that he's taking on upon himself, or he's accepting being said about himself. And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And so Jesus' kingdom isn't of this world. It's not of the same nature. It's not built by the same resources. It's of another ilk than the battleground of the gods that plagues our political realm. And so we have this uh, seemingly two systems, where where Jesus sees himself as the king, but of a kingdom, not of this world. But then he says, and we know it famously in the Lord's Prayer, doesn't he? he? He instructs us as his people to pray to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on Earth as it is in heaven. And so we have here a tension where, where God's kingdom won't be extended through earthly political means, but we should seek to influence, seek God's influence in the world, that God's people might be able to be attractive and be distinct and be calling people to come into the kingdom of light under the king. Jesus. We kind of track that tension that plays out through the rest of the New Testament, where we hear in in Romans 13, for example, that in fact the earthly governing authorities should be so respected by us because they're actually God-given. God has given them authority over us, and indeed they're actually, when in line with His will, exercising His authority in the world. And so we should submit to them as they act on God's behalf. And then earlier this year, we did a series in the book of First Peter. It was very timely, and it told us that, that just like the people of God in the Old Testament, that we, uh, in a sense, are called to be a light to the nations. That we, as a people, are called to f- so follow the way of Jesus to all of the authorities in our lives, even sometimes to the point of mistreatment, so that we might persuade people toward a better hope that can only come through Jesus. And then finally, the, the Bible closes with the book of Revelation, a, a series of visions, all of which try to encourage us to hold fast through these final times, to keep trusting the one who has conquered. And it specifically tells us to keep holding fast, keep trusting the one who has conquered, even over those who might call themselves conquerors, even over those who might have the political power over the church. And so we see in the Scriptures this this radically different view of the world than the one our political age is discipling us in. We see that for anyone in his kingdom, Jesus is the king. No prime minister, no president, no parliament can legislate us out of that reality. And we see that we're called to persuade our neighbors toward this kingship. Through light, through love, trusting not in politics, but in the one who has conquered in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And So there we have just a very brief biblical story of politics. And that leads us then to the... the well what's next for us? What are the applications for us? Let me uh, leave us with three applications for how to live as Christians in this political age that we find ourselves in. The first is that we should consider the political and the personal. Consider the political and the personal. Because living in a political age and then you throw in uh, the source of social media upon it, it's kind of like when you're a kid, you got a Coke and you shook it up and then you put a Mentos in it. Those ingredients together, you know it's going to explode. And so we should know and be discerning that outrage is baked in to the system that is trying to shape and form us. We know a lot of uh, online journalism is funded by clicks, clicks are motivated by emotion. The most powerful emotion is fear and anger. And so we have a system set up to try to create division and polarization because in doing so, there will be more interest. And so division is a marketing tactic of our day. And we are in the funnel. We are being discipled in this moment and in this system. And so when that's the case, it's very easy to be discipled into treating every single big cultural issue as just another big cultural issue out there. Part of the culture war between the left and the right, between progressive and conservative. But the Bible reminds us that that what's being played out on our screens or in the media isn't really the main war that's going on. Rather, there is a, a, a war that's going on for people. And so God calls us to see through the fog of the culture war to the people who are impacted by real issues. And so that's going to be very important when we come to this series because we're not coming to each one of these issues just to kind of join in the chorus of the online voices. We're wanting to come to these issues to consider how do we actually help the people? How do we help us as people who are affected by these real issues think about it and tease it out? And so for sure there will be sometimes... We need to address the, the, the more meta-political divide, especially around issues like abortion abortion or asylum seekers or, or gender issues. But we need to remember to keep in our minds at the forefront that we are talking about people. We are talking about people, people we're called to love, people we're called to, to show compassion to, people that we're called to persuade, to, to reach, to bless And so Christians of all people who know that original story back there in in Genesis, that that all people are made in God's image with dignity and value and worth, we should remember that what we're talking about today isn't merely excitingly political. No, it is also very and deeply personal. And so we should consider the political and the personal. And then number two, know the persuasive power of the church, know the persuasive power of the church. Because I mentioned that politics is really a necessity that happens out of people gathering together, the, the order and the activity that is needed to gather and us together and, God willing, multiply and make decisions. Well, the same is true for the church. The church is, is a microcosm of the political world, This is why much of the Bible isn't so concerned with with how the world is structured, how the political systems of the world is structured, but it is very concerned with the order, the structure of the life of the church. Jesus speaks to us about our relationships together as the church a lot. One of the most famous is when Jesus, the King, stoops down, gets onto his knees, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. No prime minister, no president is going there and yet the king of the universe stooped down so far as to wash his disciples' feet. And after he did it, he said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about that phrase, just as I have loved you. He's not just telling us what to do. He's telling us how to do it. Just as I have loved you. Jesus wants the good news of what he has done and what he's doing there in that moment and what we know that he would then go on to do on the cross to shape our relationships, to shape our politics in the church. So think about what that means and what that means for you. Just as Jesus has loved you. I've mentioned already that that our hearts are just like the hearts of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And really, our political age today is just just tapping in to something that has been exposed throughout all of history and even down to today. That at heart, we as human beings, we, we want to pursue our own power. And yet, Jesus, who had all the power, he put that off. So that he could come down to us to love us by serving us, to love us by saving us, to love us by giving up his life, to love us by dying in our place. And he says, Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And so that's what our our love is meant to look like. That's what our politics together locally is meant to look like self sacrificial, not seeking to accrue power for ourselves but to stoop down that we might raise others up. And then after that foot washing moment later on that night, which was the night that he would be betrayed, Jesus went out and he went to the garden with the disciples and he prayed. And he he prayed not just for what was about to take place, but he prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for us. And he asked that, that we may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so notice the connection here. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another, so that they may know that you are my disciples. And may they be one, just as you and I, Father, are one, so that the world may know that you sent me. How will the world know who is the king? How will the world get into the kingdom of Jesus? By the persuasive power of the way that you and I love one another and the way that you and I are united with one another. And so we are a mini political realm, a society, citizens of a city, the city of the church, and how are we are going to persuade the world through our love and through our unity as His followers? Sure, we might end up being treated the same way as Jesus was treated. Jesus tells us we should be prepared for that. But how we might be treated by the world is is very different than the calling and the responsibility that's placed upon us to love and to be united. We are called to something different than placing ourselves in left or right categories. We are called to prioritize our love and commitment to our brothers and sisters in the church. And so as we do that, we will send a powerful political message about who is the king. About who is the king of our lives, the one who truly makes humanity flourish and flourish for all eternity. And we send that message by our love and our unity. Thirdly, and finally, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Uh, All of us are being pulled in different political directions. And just like how social media algorithms are trying to kind of suck you in and your videos all kind of become the same, in the same political direction, so too, in the wider world, our hearts are being pulled in all sorts of different directions. And so in our cultural moment, it's going to be very tempting for us as people, as we join in the chorus or the tribes that are trying to pull us in toward them, to then center ourselves and find our identity in our political positions. Based on our identity, everything in life might flow through the priorities of our politics. And so we'll deify and demonize other people. We'll fight for our vision of human flourishing. We'll change our morality to to fit in with the tribe. We'll like, retweet, share whatever suits and, and fits. We'll push hard for political power to change the legislative agenda. We wear our politics as our crown, our pride, our voice. Now, I've got some props here for how that might happen. Some of us might find ourselves on the left side of politics, and so we might find ourselves championing everything on the left. And so, if this is you, you're someone who loves to see progress, you want reproductive rights you want the collective to be considered over the individual. Don't take a photo of this one, Dan. <laughs> you want international unity, globalism, because together we can, if we love one another, flourish. And so that might, be, that might be you. I'll just put that one there. But others of us here today, we might find ourselves on the right of the spectrum. Don't take a photo of this one either. We might find ourselves on the right, and you are passionate about individual responsibility. People need to take responsibility for themselves. You want freedom for all people. You want to honor the past and build upon it. You want national security. Now, as I wear these, some of you, your heart, you might get heart palpitations as you see one color or the other. You might be thinking, yes, that's me. Or, what church should I just walk into this morning? Sneering or, or cheering at the thought of these, these crowns that we wear. But there's a third crown. I mentioned there's a third way, because didn't someone we know wear a crown as well? The crown of Christ wasn't one of these, but a crown of thorns. I'm not going to put this one on because I know my place. <laughs> the crown of thorns is the one that matters as Jesus laid down his life at the hands of the political powers of his day. What he was doing in his death was what he had said in his life. That death to the world is life in Christ. Self-denial is the way of human flourishing. And so Jesus calls us to, to take up our cross and to follow him in our world. And so at the heart of politics is really the the politics of our own hearts. Who is it that's that's governing your life? Who is it that is on the throne in your heart? There's a moment in the Gospels. This is where we get our our final Bible reading, where where Jesus is talking about how people need to eat his flesh and, and drink his blood. He's talking about how he's the bread of life. Really hard things, People are a little bit grossed out by but particularly the implications. that They're meant to follow him with all of their lives. And so people start to leave. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he has that, that exchange. Jesus asks them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. over the next nine weeks, we're going to talk about a lot of issues. There's going to be a lot of ways we're going to want to cheer or sneer. And yet we are called to follow the one, to whom, the the only one who has the words of eternal life. And he is calling us today to trust in him, to, to follow him, to fall in line behind him. And in many cases... It would be far easier to to find ourselves in one of the camps, find ourselves in one of the sides, find ourselves in in, in one of our our earthly tribes because there we'll find camaraderie and encouragement and we've got a consistent vision together. But Jesus' perspective is the one that we need. Jesus' vision is the one that we need. Jesus' life in us is the life that we need and Jesus is the only one that can give us the hope that political power is trying to offer us. So let us go to Jesus and follow Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that you, in a world of of visions being painted for our lives, of, of people having a wonderful plan for our life, Jesus, you are the one who paints the vision that can give us hope that gives us life, that taps in to who we are, our our dignity and value and worth is made in your image and yet our fallenness and brokenness and sinfulness as that image is is marred and tarred by our disobedience. God, restore us to yourself and we thank you that you you have not left that up to us to, to pull ourselves up. Lord, you have come down, the King has stooped down to us to to wash our feet, to lay down your life for us in our place. God, we thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. Would you free us from our political age and being pulled in either direction? Would you pull us up to you so that we might find our hope and our being and our life and our vision for the world in you? And so bless us today, bless us in the months to come. Shape us and form us around you that we might live in light of you and that we might follow you in all things. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.